0: I was just having the, the feeling sitting here this moment that it would be nice if I could always arrive at something that I had to engage in like this. You know, take two or three minutes and just stop and breathe and collect myself and have everybody else collect themselves. And, you know, now we can engage, right? <laughs> that is really rare in the way that our uh, culture operates. We're kind of just moving so quickly from one thing to the next generally. But this uh, remembering to slow down and do, do it differently. Do something different. It's really what we're exploring is how we can uh, move in our self and our being and our life in a way that isn't just habituated It isn't just out of the old patterns, the old ideas and beliefs about who I am and the way things are and what I have to do and who I should be and all of those ideas that usually direct and guide us in our life. But stopping and slowing down and reflecting on all of this together. What is a way we can do this differently and be in this world in a different way? And maybe that will affect our world in some way as well, maybe bring a little bit more peace and harmony, um, not only to our own world, but to the larger world as well. There's a quote from um, Joseph Campbell, a great lover of the truth, um, that I've reflected on for some time in my practice. He says, People say we are looking for meaning in life, I do not think that is what we're looking for at all. I think what we are really looking for is an experience of being alive. An experience of being alive. It really kind of shifts the perspective a little bit when we think of it that way. Because sometimes, you know, we, what's the point? <laughs> and people say that here on the retreat as well. You know, we get to a place sometimes in our practice where... It just like doesn't make sense anymore. Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> what is the point of all of this? You know, the whole construct, the, uh, the view that we have of our life and the world, it just doesn't make sense anymore. And that sense of, well, then what is it all about? What is the meaning? What is the purpose? And I love that Joseph Campbell points to the experience of being alive, it is just this moment in looking just at this moment and what might be uh, hindering that sense of aliveness right now the wonderful thing in this practice is we're only concerned with the now moment really it, in that in some ways that's what makes our practice manageable if we had to manage our whole life and then everybody else's life, and you know in our uh, the people who are near us or around us, if we had that and our organizations or whatever it is, we that gets a lot more complex. But when we consider, oh right, just this moment. <laughs> What's happening in this moment? It makes things more simple, a little more manageable, even though this moment can seem very full and complex and complicated. At least we have something to attend to here. And the reason that it's only the now moment is because the next moment is also going to be the now moment, and the moment after that, and the moment after that. That's all we got is a bunch of now moments. The rest is all just a fabrication that there is something called the past and something called the future, which is more concept. But that experience of being alive and being awake is now, always now. So in these teachings and these practices, that's really where we place our consideration Like, what obscures that? What's in the way of that? What's hindering that experience of being awake? We could call it being awake. Being awake, being alive, being conscious, being present. And the rest all unfolds from there. It opens up from there. With mindfulness, with the quality of interest, investigation, inquiry, like, what is this? Being interested in in this experience that we have, that we're given, that we're being offered, however we want to talk about that. And having some energy, having some energy for that uh, unfolding, for that process of discovery. Yesterday I offered the teachings of the Third Zen Patriarch, and there's that the one line which I think really hits the nail on the head in terms of our particular exploration, when uh, the, the patriarch says, "To set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind. To set up what you like against." What you dislike is the disease of the mind. This word "disease" it's an interesting word. Uh, if you put a hyphen in "dis-ease," it becomes a bit something we can resonate with, perhaps a little bit more, because what we're really looking for, as well, is a quality or an experience of ease. We want things to be easeful. <laughs> not so difficult not so much of a struggle so where do we find how do we know that sense of ease and so the zen patriarch points to this when you set up this difference this distinction create this duality or as Catherine was speaking about last night these two worlds these two separate worlds that seem like they're polarized or they're opposite from each other. And then we try to get to one or the other depending on our, our, what we value, what we prefer, what we like, what we don't like. But that's where all the meaning comes on to experience. We, and we can have this sense of this separation, two worlds And yet what she was pointing to last night is this open door where the two worlds meet. Maybe they're not so separate. Maybe the way that we make these distinctions between what we like and we dislike, depending on how much we're holding on to that, gives us this sense of a gap. Or sometimes it's called even an abyss, (laughs) like a big gap, between what I think I want and what I don't have and what I'm seeking for and what doesn't seem like it's here right now. So we're looking into this attachment, how we get attached, this uh, grasping, this uh, holding that the tightening and the constriction around experience, and how we place this sense of value, of liking and disliking, and then holding, attaching, and rejecting, and pushing away. And then the whole activity of that creating a kind of exhaustion and tiredness, and we just kind of dull out and and go to sleep, and we're not really paying attention at all anymore. The patterns are so tiring. They take so much energy, this movement of, of trying to get something and pushing away, trying to get and pushing away, it's exhausting. so 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 we may not feel so alive. <laughs> we may feel pretty tired, tired out. so we're we're examining this. So I'm not sure what kinds of things you saw yesterday, but one of the things that when I was looking at this um, liking and disliking, in my own practice, I was on retreat last, last year, and I was very interested in this If liking, if there was always attachment in liking. Like just because I like something and because it's pleasurable, does that mean there's attachment in it? Because for a long time I actually did think that was true, and particularly in the beginning of my practice, I had this idea that uh, any kind of pleasure was attachment, and that I wasn't, you know, maybe it's from the ascetic Buddhist teachings, you know, renunciation, and, you know, letting go, and giving up, Um, that even pleasure had to go. You know, something was wrong, because it's, it's, you know, there's attachment somewhere, even though I might not even feel it. That I must there just because it's even arising, I must be attached in some way. You know, some confusion. I remember I was standing in the sun once in the early days of my practice, and I was standing. It was getting towards a a November cooler time, and I was uh, standing in the sun, and I was feeling the pleasure, just feeling the pleasure, and I I remember feeling very confused at that time, am I, is it okay? Is it okay to feel good? Is it okay to feel this pleasure, this joy? Because I was feeling that. But because of these teachings around attachment and uh, the suffering that gives rise in attachment, I was, I was like, oh no, I can't, I can't feel that. And so it's a, it was a marker for me of, this, of not understanding this, this experience of pleasure. When I was on retreat last year and I was looking more deeply into this, I was eating some of uh, my breakfast cereal. I'm aware that uh, you're going to have the idea that I actually really like to eat. Because <laughs> a lot of my examples are around food. <laughs> but maybe because on retreat that is such a highlight... <laughs> of the retreat experience but I was having my breakfast cereal In really liking my breakfast. I like my breakfast <laughs> and I was really liking my breakfast cereal and I was examining, I was investigating more deeply into whether there was attachment in the liking of my breakfast cereal and I couldn't find any And I trusted that experience. I trusted that what I felt, the way I felt in my body, the way I felt in my mind, was very open, very expanded, very relaxed. And I trusted that that was a sign that I can't find it, so why make an issue out of this? Why make a problem out of it? Just enjoy. One of my... Uh, early teachers, Manindraji from India, used to say, when you're happy, be happy. When you're happy, be happy. Don't make a problem out of anything. <laughs> and it's a, it sounds like a simple teaching, and yet I can see, um, and uh, maybe you can see too, that how our minds want to make things more complicated. You know, it, something must be lurking somewhere. There must be a problem here somewhere that I'm not seeing, or... You know, and so we we can kind of be on guard, mm-hmm. uh, dis, distrustful, suspicious of ourself and our experience. That then gives rise to doubt, doubt about what's happening. But yet, you know, right in the moment, you know, there's pleasure. There's a calm, or there's an ease. Can I open to that? Can I allow that? Can I appreciate that? Because when I see that with Dhamma eyes, when I see that with right view, with clear seeing, then I see that, yes, that experience is here, but it's not going to last. Because pleasure and pain are experiences of the world. The, the Buddha calls it the worldly winds. The worldly wind. I think I love that. You know, the pleasure and pain, there's eight worldly wins, the Buddha says. There's pleasure and pain, there's success and failure, there's gain and there's loss, and there is, what's the last one, there's praise and there's blame. That's the nature of this world, the worldly realm. Pleasure and pain, success and failure, gain and loss, and praise and blame. That one's a really good one to reflect on because if we just want praise, we're going to be in trouble. Because there's going to be blame somewhere and it's not actually so personal a lot of the time it's we, we didn't even do anything i mean the, especially from the point of view of a child i know when i think of that you know i think of how many times my mother blamed me for something i didn't even know what i did it's like what what happened you know that sense of being caught off guard as a child growing up it's like what happened all of a sudden you're getting a swat on the back of your bum you know it's like what did i do no that kind of like praise and blame praise and blame it's worldly winds and from the from the view right view or wise view Dhamma view we just see that's the way it is that's the way it is here and so when when something arises it's for a time for a period of time mind states emotions sensations body comes and goes When we look more deeply at experience, we see that nothing really lasts. And in seeing that more clearly, it helps to let go. This is the wisdom that lets go. We can't let go until we begin to see clearly the way things really are. And then letting go happens by itself. This, the example that's often used in the Buddhist teachings is that if you're holding on to a burning coal and you, you recognize that you're holding a burning coal, you don't have to think about whether you're going to drop it or not. It's like, ah, this is hot, and you drop it. But the analogy is that we are actually holding on to a burning coal and we don't know it. We don't know that we're burning we don 't know, so we don 't we don 't let go because it 's like it 's not yet clear in our consciousness the way that we 're burning, but when you know it, you will drop it <laughs> you will drop it like a hot coal you know? but that 's the where the delusion the confusion comes in we don 't know, so we can 't blame ourselves we can 't criticize ourselves for what we don't know when we don't know we don't know and it's so cruel really the way we treat ourselves the way we um, talk to ourselves in expectation and demand and judgment thinking that we can be otherwise but we can only be otherwise when we, when something's clear, when the wisdom arises. Otherwise, we don't know, and you can see it in the whole world. I mean, why would human beings act the way they did, the way they do towards other human beings with such cruelty and violence and um, uh, harm? It's it's stupid, you know. It just it just doesn't isn't, doesn't make sense why we would do this to each other the way what we do to each other. So it's confusion. We're confused. We're ignorant when we create harm to ourselves or to other beings. So we want to see with dhamma eyes. We want to see what's a, what's what's here in this now moment. And see if we can trust our experience without digging to see, oh, well, there must be something kind of you know, lurking here behind my liver, or you know, it must be behind my hip bone, or you know, where is that thing that's so bad and evil or wrong in myself? Because we, we tend to believe that there is something really bad or wrong. But where is it? What is your true experience? What is your direct experience right now? So we open the door to where these two worlds meet and don't go back to sleep. One of the ways that we create these two worlds is this idea of good and bad. I started to speak about it yesterday. This is good, this is good, this is bad. This is right, this is wrong. You know, this kind of overarching view on the way things are. And then we create this separation between the two as if they're polarized, if they're opposite, and try to get to the good and reject the bad based on our own view, our own world view, rather than seeing that there is a place where these meet. There's somewhere where this meets, which may have something to do with dropping the label. Dropping, <clears throat> dropping the label, not getting so lost in the concepts themselves, and to, to feel and sense what's actually happening. And we're already moving towards that open door because we're bringing in awareness We're bringing in some wisdom. We're bringing in interest for the inquiry, investigation. What's happening, truly happening? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? What's in the emotional body? What's in the physical body? What am I hearing, tasting, smelling? Going right into the direct experience. Then we can potentially see and know the Dhamma see things the way they really are, getting outside of this paradox, of this duality, this separation. (coughs) But in order to begin to hold my experience, to hold my experience the way it is, there needs to be some acceptance rather than this judgment and expectation and demand, it's good, it's bad, it's right, it's wrong. Can I just allow this experience to be as it is and then begin to see what I can understand about it, learn about it, begin be more engaged, alive, awake, in with the experience. Then we're coming closer to Dhamma mind, the Dhamma, because the Dhamma first and foremost is a radical acceptance of the way things are even though i might want them to be different and have a tantrum about how i want things to be different than they are and i'm not seeing the worldly winds i want this mm. and we ah, arch ourselves up and demand and strike and mm. but this coming into more of a ah, open accepting, allowing. This is the way it is. Then I am more firmly established in reality. This moment, what's reality? This moment is all we've got. This is reality. Earth, air, water, fire. Thoughts feelings, sensations, right in this moment, is reality. And your reality is going to be different than my reality at that level of the world, of our worldly, earthly, human experience. It manifests differently in every individual, in every being. Can we trust that? This is my experience. It's happening like this. Might be different than your experience. Probably is different than your experience. An opening, allowing two worlds coming together in this moment. There's no not so much separation, not such a big gap. It just is what it is. And then that we see it changes. It's changing moment to moment to moment with awareness and wisdom. It's a very different approach than this sense of the judgment and control and expectation from my ideas and how I want things to be. That's not the Dhamma. Everything arises according to its own nature due to causes and conditions that are so beyond my my control, this small little entity in the big scheme of things. I am so insignificant. (laughs) There is so much more going on here. (laughs) No, whatever we want to call that, we, we do have, we try to name that, the unnameable. You know, we call that God, call it the divine, call it the mystery, the supreme, the absolute. And we have so many names for that, but it's very personal how we enter into that relationship with that. That is so much bigger than my small little experience in the way that I want this world to be. It's so interesting when we, we start to open to the way things are. And as I come more into my experience, in the moment it's complex. It feel, can feel complex sometimes because it's layered. There's many, many layers to my experience. It's not so simple well, there's some that's in the conscious attention, but there's a whole lot that's going on that's not even conscious, that's still impacting, still influencing my experience. But it's, that information is not available to me in the moment. But it's playing, the memory, the body memory, all those impressions, all those events, all the things that have happened to me in the past, in this life, and if we even believe in past lives, you know. I mean, when you think about all that that's moving through us that isn't conscious, but is impacting our experience, it's pretty complex. But since we can't have access to that which is not conscious and which is hidden, we don't really have to be so bothered with that right now, what we want to attend to is what we know. What's obvious? That's enough. What's on your plate? What's obvious? That's, that's enough. Because even what's obvious, even what we know, is a lot to attend to in any given moment. So we're just here, here with this, here with this moment-to-moment experience. It's complex because it's happening quickly. These changes are happening quickly, and the mind can't keep up with it. The thinking mind can't keep up with it. We've spoken about this. So we just do our best. Just what What? What am I in contact with? Oh, I'm seeing, I'm feeling there's some sensations in my body a strong sensation in my hip i'm aware of some sound some ringing in my ears i'm aware of my voice is speaking there's some words coming out there's people sitting there there's some some calm what am i aware of right now that's enough because from there more and more is revealed more reveals itself in the awareness, in the interest, with energy. There's energy for this. In fact, the only real difference between being here on retreat and being at home or outside of the retreat, because sometimes this is another division that we make, another uh, two, two worlds, right, that Catherine was speaking about. I mean, for me, the only real difference is the speed. <laughs> things just really start speeding up as you will witness, not not too far future. We have this luxury here of things moving a lot more slowly, and it can go as slow as you'd like it to go. You can move really slow here, if you'd like, and probably there are some people who are moving pretty slow particularly when you don't want them to be. Like, oh, faster! (laughs) Trying to get through this door! (laughs) Trying to get my food! (laughs) Trying to get my cup of tea! (laughs) (laughs) And yet what we find, you know, people start slowing down here. And it seems that as we slow down the camera, we see more of the moment-to-moment-to-moment shots. You know? Kind of things open up in a way that they don't usually open up for us in our our perception. On on longer retreats, two-month retreats, three-month retreats, six-month retreats, can you imagine? (laughs) No. (laughs) People are shaking their heads. (laughs) Things can get pretty slowed down at the physical level. And really, speed up in the mental level because the mind is the concentration just gets can get so vivid that ooh, just seeing mind moments ah, the clarity of the the potential of the mind it's 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 awesome really what we can see so when we start to speed up then the mind speeds up and we're having to attend more to the daily. Ordinary, conventional way, and so the, the maybe sometimes the the deeper insights aren't happening so much. That's really the only difference that I see. And so we're going to talk more about that. You know, just how we can uh, perhaps organize our daily life so that maybe there's a little bit more time for this um, slowing down <laughs> and connecting, so that we don't lose this connection with the Dhamma, with this deeper looking, with deeper, um, the deeper investigation into things. It's still just contact, feeling, pleasure, displeasure, and then whether there's grasping or not. The Buddha breaks it down to that contact with one of the six sense objects, the body, the mind, the feeling of pleasure, displeasure, pain? And is there grasping? And the holding and the rejecting? Or are we going to sleep around it? that That's the pith teaching of the Buddha. Right there. Because if we're grasping onto the pleasure, the pain, We are then born, we come into birth as someone who in some ways feels deficient or incomplete without that thing that just got created into something (coughs) real that's going to bring my happiness or something that's going to interfere with my happiness. The world gets born I get born into the world as a deficient person that's looking for something that I don't have because I'm incomplete. Or something's wrong with me. (laughs) Or I'm bad. Or I'm evil. Whatever it is. got to find that thing that's going to bring me back into wholeness because I don't recognize who I am in my essence, in my nature, in my, the fullness of my being, which is our journey, which is our path. It seems to be the path, the path to awakening to the truth of who I am and what this existence is about. It's not that there's anything wrong with that. That's just what we do here as human beings. <laughs> If we're interested, if we're on a spiritual path. So, being born into someone, the Buddha says in every direction there are things you know and recognize, leave them. Do not look to them for rest and relief. Do not let consciousness dwell on the products of existence on things that come and go. Leave them. In every direction there will be things you know and recognize. Don't look to them for rest and relief because they come and they go. When we start to know that deeply and we're not holding on and clinging on in the same way, then we enter that which is called the deathless, The deathless means we are not born into this constricted, self-separate entity that is separated from everything else. It's not that we aren't here, but what we are is the Dhamma, is the nature. We are that, not separated from anything. We know ourselves as that nature. We know ourselves as whole, as complete, as full, alive. That's what we mean by the deathless. When the Buddha speaks about the deathless, it's just that we're not born into someone, and then we die, right? And then all the fear around dying, there is already this sense of freedom, freedom, liberation. Liberating, already being liberated into that, which has no limits, which has no boundaries, which has no containment, which is already free. Already free. That is what I am. That is what you are. That is what all things are. Free and liberated. Only the the conceptual mind, the thinking mind, starts to create these separations and believes that they're real, believes that they're true. Recent retreat, one of uh, the people who were on the retreat wrote this little tiny poem after hearing a teaching such as this. She said, When the heart is innocent and the walls have disappeared then you are bridged with infinity. When the heart is innocent and the walls have disappeared, then you are bridged with infinity. Just like that. So our practice here is this peeling back these layers. That's one way I speak about it. Peeling back these layers so that we can discover what is truly here. And I want to tell you um, just one experience I had um, when I was on retreat last year um, in this peeling back the layers, right? My own experience. Um, One of the ways that we as uh, Buddhist practitioners uh, create a really nice division is in terms of what 's good and what 's bad is that uh, anytime anger arises it 's usually put into the bad category you know we 're not supposed to get angry anger anger is bad, compassion and love is good anger is bad, and um, some of us have you know created quite a um, self image around that, including myself for for a long time, until I started to, these two worlds started to meet a little bit more for me. And I was on a retreat last year, and um, it was at a time where in America, I don't know if you have it here, but there's a, a, a day called Mother's Day, where mothers are celebrated. Do you have that here? Do you know yeah. what that one's about? Do you know what that one's about? Yes, I know. I know what that's about. She she asked me she asked me if I knew what that one was about. We we still have to have our talk. <laughs> yeah, I know what that one's about. I really know, and you'll find out how much I know that what that one's about because that's what that's what my story is about so um, it was Mother's Day and I was on retreat but I really wanted my mother who is elderly and I love her very much I really wanted her to get her Mother's Day card and I wanted her to get her Mother's Day card as close to Mother's Day as possible so I didn't want to mail it before the retreat it was a two week retreat and um, I wanted to, so I wanted to make sure she had it um, on the day and so I had the card with me I had it Addressed. I had it all ready, but I didn't bring a stamp. So I needed to arrange with the office to get a stamp. And so because I wanted the card mailed on a particular day, now you're going to find something out about my personality, you know, just how persnickety I am. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, I needed to arrange with the office to get the stamp and have this mailed on a certain day so that it would arrive on a you know, certain day so she'd get the card so I went into the office you know, some days before. I'd figured out how many days I would need for the post office you know, to get it there on time. This is all you know, during retreat, of course. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and so I went into the office and I checked with them. I said, you know, I'm going to need to get a stamp and um, mail this t- tomorrow. And I'll come into the office and get it. And um, you'll, you'll be a- I think I got the stamp that day. But I didn't want to put it in the mail because it would get there too soon. So I said I'll come back tomorrow and put it in the mail. Yeah, fine, great, you know. So the and I had been really planning this, you can tell, you know, before the retreat as well because I had the card already and I knew it was the day and, and I needed to get the stamp and I had it all ready. And so I went into the office that day to mail my card which was, you know, all perfectly set up, right? in the mail this day it'll take two days she'll get it she'll be happy you know I go to the office for office hours and it says closed (laughs) for the day (laughs) and it was so interesting to see what happened because I was having a pretty relaxed retreat it probably was Uh, six or seven days into the retreat and you know feeling a pretty amount of calm and ease and as soon as I made contact eyes made contact with that sign that said closed and I had so much investment right already that I didn't even see I didn't see the amount of investment that had been building up for my mother to get the card on time as soon as my eyes made contact with that sign that said closed for the day I just went into this rage it just came up so fast like a rocket I was so angry and then I, was, I, w- I had to find someone to be angry at right? so, <laughs> I, mean, so I noticed my mind was just railing against the office, uh, office personnel why didn't they tell me? I was there yesterday they should have told me the office would be closed why did why did they do this to me what 's wrong with this organization you know? i mean she 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 shouldn 't have she shouldn 't have done this to me you know I mean the whole kind I mean just total rage and then it felt like the end of the world that my mother wasn 't going to get this card and I walked around you know it was probably twenty minutes and because I had some intention for awareness and investigation and energy for that investigation i was really interested in this anger like what the heck is going on you know and so we and people have been speaking about this you know how we can step back and we see it all happening but wow you know it's just going on and there's not a lot you can do about it you're kind of in it but you're not fully in it you're a little bit back watching it so I'm watching it and I had enough stability in my awareness and enough understanding of how to investigate my experience that what I I just stayed with the feelings, I stayed what was happening in my body, the tightness, the rage, the how it just was so I was so attached. I mean the attachment was, you know, this is attachment. It's not like strong attachment, this is attachment. And I started to feel as I stayed present with my experience and I started to feel the, the energy of the anger started to calm down and I started to touch some of the tender feelings. I started to understand that I wanted my mother to see me as a good daughter. I wanted to be seen as good and I thought she would really be upset or it would make her unhappy that I didn't, she didn't get a card from me. The card symbolized, symbolized our love. And I started to feel that need to be seen as good, Then the, you know, the, the goodness that I, I wanted to, to be seen to have. And then, and then I saw that and then that started to open and then I just felt the love. I felt how much I loved her. And there was just this deep, deep feeling of of my connection with her and how important she was and how how I you know it started to touch the grief if I lose her and it was so beautiful and so tender. And it felt like this was a gift, this whole experience was an opportunity and a gift to me that they closed the office I was like thank you because i could feel the tenderness of my love for her in a way that i had never felt it before and how important she was to me my heart was so full my heart was so alive and that's what there was that's all there was was the love the anger it just was i mean i just saw through that and it was a beautiful beautiful moment and i was able to put the card in the mail the next day and i found out that she got it on time <laughs> <laughs> you know so we you know we have these things so perfectly planned out right But I think something else is going on. Something else is going on. Sometimes I think that when we can see from more of a Dhamma perspective and we can trust, trust into our experience, trust the way things are unfolding, and be interested in that, there's there's a teaching, there's a lesson, there's a gift, there's a healing, there's something else happening... (coughs) <coughs> that our minds may not be able to understand. It may not make any sense to us. And yet it, it 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 it's natural that we would rail against the universe, we'd rail against God, or you know, whoever it is that we think has caused this pain for us. But as we go deeper and become hold ourselves, be able to hold ourselves our experience in this open door where these two worlds meet, something so beautiful starts to come through. Something so truly exquisite that again doesn't make sense to the rational mind. How even terrible things... (coughs) Could start to open up for us in some way. There's, there's like the... Um, the, the per, is it the pearl and the, and the oyster? Is that the... Yeah. yeah? It's like the pearl, the jewel. The oyster is this kind of hard and has a shell that's very kind of hard and um, uh, rough... And then inside, there's this exquisite pearl. So this is the the journey. So we're encouraging this awareness. This awareness. Cultivating the capacity to see if we can be present. Pay attention to where your uh, practice falls apart where your awareness falls apart. Because when the awareness falls apart, then you will be falling back into the old patterns. Because that's all there is. is either there's the old structures and the patterning, or there's the awareness and the wisdom that can start to bring some understanding and some healing to this life's journey. Oh, this bringing awareness and then relaxing. We have to relax, keep relaxing as much as we can. And open, be present, be here. What's happening? Because things are not as they appear. Things are not as they appear. But as some great sage said, things are not as they appear nor are they otherwise. Chew on that one for a moment. (laughs) Things are not as they appear, but nor are they otherwise. So this path to freeing the mind, freeing the heart, liberating the heart, So we have our time now to open it up to you. Anything that you would like to offer? Anything you'd like to share about your practice? Anything that's moving in you right now? Open it up to the room. Yes, John.
1: There's something... Uh... Get out on the shoot um, number 11. Um, was, um, do you want something to stop happening? Check to see if one of these attitudes is present. And I wonder if you could say something more about um, sort of wise intention. Yeah. And what is sometimes called the defilements which I, I understand. I'm not sure if I actually understand the word as being good, um, sort of negative mental patterns or something like that. But it doesn't sound good anyway. um, mm-hmm.
0: so what's, the, what's the whole of number 11? Can you read the whole of number 11?
1: Why do you focus so hard when you meditate? Do you want something? Do you want something to happen? Do you want something to stop happening? Check to see if one of these attitudes is present. Yeah.
0: So your question is around the wise intention for something to stop happening. Yeah, so. yeah.
1: With the intention to bring the end of delusions, or yeah. the end of dullness, or the end of grasping.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's wonderful because, in a way, there's the paradox right there, because the even number eleven is pointing to stop focusing so hard. <laughs> Why do you focus so hard? Stop. But the very thing is saying, do you want something to stop? Do you want something to happen? Stop happening. So it's a paradox right in that whole teaching right there. So, so that's where we have to, and you are, you know, going a little bit deeper with it. Because it seems that there is a stopping <laughs> on this path. And in fact, we might say that the whole of the path is about stopping. <laughs> mm-hmm it's actually cessation, cessation, stop. No. So, so then your question, in the, the operative word in your question is the wise intention, the wisdom. Where's the wisdom operating in the way that you're attending to your experience? And so that's always the question and it's not so clear so for me, for a long time, my, my question in my practice was, is there, am, I, am I moving from wisdom or am I moving from fear? That was the way that I framed it for myself. Am I moving from wisdom or am I moving from fear? And for me, the reason the, f- we're, f- the word fear was actually helpful was because I could feel that energetically. I could feel the pit in my stomach. I could feel the knot. I could feel the contraction. I could feel the constriction. I could feel the kind of the, you know, going into confusion or dissociation, you know. And I knew at those times that was not the best time for me to trust any kind of idea I had about what was the best thing to do in that moment. I mean, sometimes I had to respond. I had to engage, but I knew that I had to be careful because there's fear here, and I'm not really thinking that clearly, <laughs> so but other times you know maybe or maybe there would be wisdom arising at that moment, which he would even say, "Be careful, stop, go slow so i'm 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 continually looking for the kernels of wisdom. Where is the wisdom arising, and that's really what Utejani is pointing to in that because he's pointing to why are you focusing so hard? Because he's very interested in that striving mind. Mm. Because you're wanting something. You want something to happen or stop happening. So in that particular one, that's what he's interested in, is that. So, So your question is very astute in that it's pointing to exactly the wise intention. The intention to know how to stop Know how to <coughs> untangle from the habits of mind that are bringing about pain and suffering. Stop. But we can't stop until we understand, until we see, until we know. Thank you. Yeah. something arising like your anger when you saw you saw the sign and then the amount of time it takes for you for that to unravel um, and it feels like you know normal life you hear people all the time sort of saying you know I had a car crash five years ago and now I can see with the benefit of that amount of hindsight that it was a really good thing yeah. because it led to this and this and this and you know in my own practice I've seen the gap get smaller and smaller and it's much quicker that you can actually See what's really happened, and yeah. It opens to something yeah, wider, interesting, more real. that's right. And then, I don't know, is it does that process ever end? Is it, does it get to a point where something arises and then immediately it opens? So you experience it for you know, a minute. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, the question really the comment uh, questions really around the gap but the time, you know. Um, the time before some clarity, some understanding starts to arise and there's some freeing up some uh, uh, release yes. release from that contraction, that constriction um, and for her seeing how that gap actually does seem to get shorter and shorter and shorter it's not quite as big as it used to be, and um, that we see you can see things or know things, uh, respond more quickly before it starts to build and get stronger or get stuck (laughs) and um, there can be a a response that seems to be helpful or wise or skillful that helps release liberate free up question is does that seem i think your question is does it ever go away i mean is there is a gap disappear so there's no gap Hmm? i think it's a wonderful question i do i i I don't i don't want to answer the question because i think it's a wonderful one to ponder because what is that? What is the gap? I think, you know, really starting to get a sense and a feel for that gap. And then, and what is that? Noticing, starting to notice time. Like for me, you know, there was that, the, the anger. For me, the, the, there was the knowing of that. There was the seeing of it, but I was still caught. And so, so there wasn't enough, there was awareness but there wasn't enough wisdom. So there's a difference, and um, Ute Jania talks a lot about this. He says that awareness alone is not enough. It's actually the name of one of his books. Awareness alone is not enough. That unless there's wisdom, enough wisdom, I mean, we always have some wisdom as practitioners, but there has to be enough wisdom to penetrate that to release and free it. So what we're talking about with the gap is that there just isn't enough information. We don't understand. There's not enough knowledge yet about that particular pattern. So we're just rolling around in it. We're just kind of caught up in it for a while. We may see it. It's like with any kind of addiction. You know, we might, we might see that we're caught in that addiction. I'm going for that Food again, I'm going for that drug again, I'm going for that drink again, I'm doing it, but I can't stop it. Right? There's not enough understanding yet to know how to stop it. So that then brings about a different kind of gap. There might be, there's the gap of not knowing at all, then I wake up (laughs) (coughs) 10 hours later. (laughs) But there's also the gap of how long it takes for the wisdom to come in that, that can start to untangle and release that once and for all. And I think the once and for all is the Buddha. <laughs> the once and for all might be a while. I don't know. What do you think, Catherine? The once and for all. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's my, that's my faith. Yeah. yeah, that it can happen. Yeah. Your faith is, her faith is that it can happen. Once and for all. So there's no more binding. There's no more tangling. But the wisdom, the awareness and the wisdom are operating. Those are the spiritual powers. The, the mind becomes powerful. That it's just seen. Things are seen for what they are. There's no more binding. Nietzsche, Anatta, Dukkha, emptiness. Ruby, I think we'll have time for these three that had their hands up. So Ruby and then Mon. And... Mm-hmm. Thank you. I had a question about um,
1: practice, but I wanted to ask, thank you for the story of anyone. Thank you. Hmm. And it's so moving the unfolding that you describe and the change from the anger to understanding the longing and the love. It's
0: so beautiful. Really touching. Beautiful. You're welcome. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. It's touching something in you. Yeah, you're there yeah that's beautiful longing for opening to love sometimes you know we, we find different names for this that opening that open door that open and sometimes we can just call it love sometimes it just feels like love Entering into that. Mm.
1: It's like this, this aching heart. Yeah. A sweet, painful feeling.
0: Sweet and painful. Bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the meeting of two right there love the quality of love bitter, sweet painful and sweet (laughs) can you hold that can we hold that maybe that's what makes it so difficult to open to love because it has the painful element we're afraid of that afraid of the pain when we open to love Yeah. 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 It's very painful when the heart constricts, but you know, it's we love. We you know we just love. I mean, truly, we we do love deeply as human beings. Catherine was speaking last night too about that the, the passion. In the dispassion, you know the pa- you know that that we that uh, that's the aliveness. We we love we love our life, and yet these worldly winds that blow through it's painful. Thank you.
2: Yes. Can I use your example because you? Of- because because um, it's such a beautiful example. but um, if I have like questions like that, what's causing this anger? I, you ended up with this beautiful thought of, um, let's well, just I want to express my love to my mother, and I really want to show her my affection, and she's important for me, and she's, and that would be my um, satisfying answer. <laughs> At the same time, there would be another answer, why is this love so fragile that I'm totally fed up? If she gets this card yeah. one day later, she knows where I am, I'm in a retreat, she knows where these centers are, There are places nobody, nobody reaches that easy. And then I would um, sort of, used the most comfortable thought, but this one would get silent, they would, they would still go on and like, um, so maybe, maybe if my card is a day late, this frustration must add to her to other frustrations I've given her in my life, and then maybe this would, it's not an expression of my love, maybe it's more my being afraid of her being disappointed in me, and then yeah. And then you have like two answers probably both true and very difficult
0: to handle. Yeah, yeah. So so I'm just as I'm listening to you, I'm aware that your process would be very different than mine. That thought never arose in my mind that oh, I'm on retreat, <laughs> Karn's arrive late. That never arose in my mind. So isn't it interesting, you know, it's just that even in that experience, there's a different process arising, so therefore conditions are different for you that you have to attend to in that. And so you're posing, um, oh, this is what I would be, I suppose that this is what I would be holding. Yeah? This is what I would need to be looking at. And so then, so then that would be your investigation, right? If you're holding it with awareness, investigation, interest—that that's what, yeah. So that so then that's on your plate. Mm. How do I do that? How do I hold those?
2: And then you trust that the answers there are all the answers, or you get? I have one answer, and then I'm stuck with that. And...
0: That's right. So it's moment to moment to moment. So the important thing isn't so much the answer. The important thing is the awareness. (laughs) Are you just, what's the quality of your moment to moment awareness as you are investigating that particular issue? See, so the outcome is almost secondary. So more and more we just keep placing the importance on the quality of awareness and trusting that, trust the awareness. And then as you trust the awareness, what is revealed is revealed and what is not revealed is not revealed. <laughs> well, because it could be even things you haven't thought of yet. <laughs> right? That's what you're saying.
2: They all show up with awareness.
0: They show up in the awareness, and often conflicting. Mm. <laughs> and then you stay present with that. Stay present with that, and your responses to that. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Um, I
0: Yeah. So, so, so you're talking about the aversion and attachment in li- the bigger life issues, okay. of relationships, jobs, situations. How do you make those decisions?
1: When I, I guess around where the choice
0: is. Where there is a where there is a choice, right? Right. Well, you know, it's the same thing as what we're doing here. It's exactly the same. And I, you know, again, I want to really bring it back to this practice. Because the more that you can connect with your present moment experience and start to understand how if you get pulled into the aversive mind or the grasping mind, that investment like I did with the card, you're not going to see clearly about how what choice to make. Because those forces of mind are blinding to any kind of connection with reality. <laughs> It's not based on real reality. It's it's always based on the past. For me, it was as a child being a good daughter. It wasn't anything about my relationship with my mother now. So how can I make a clear choice if I'm just caught up in those very powerful patterns of the mind? So I need to begin to understand how those are operating that then will allow me to come into more uh, connection with the deeper wisdom. Then I can respond to what's on my plate and what's happening. So this practice is a valuable resource to bring us into more and more clarity. So until we're there, though, we have to do the best we can <laughs> because we are going to be confused. We are, we are going to bring mixed motivations and mixed ideas and confusion to our choices because that's where we are. So, so it's kind of putting that into perspective too and then then feeling some sense of um, uh, understanding about the power of this practice because that will bring you to more and more clarity and more and more capacity to make wise choices in your life. Yeah? So that's it. Thank you. I'm going to have to end now. We have some interviews that we need to attend to. So let's just take one minute and sit quietly together.